Welcome to Human, an Accenture podcast about workforce potential and the future of work. My name is Genghis Bessim. I'm a manager within Accenture's talent and organization and human potential practice. I'm passionate about culture, inclusion, and the future of work. I'm thrilled to be your host for season one of Human, Unlocking Workforce Potential. Throughout this podcast, we'll be speaking with industry leaders, behavioural scientists, life coaches, academics and subject matter experts. Together, we'll explore topics such as the importance of compassion and kindness at work, the evolving relationship between humans and robots, and the skills that we need for the future. And what better way to kick off our podcast about human than with a discussion about truly human culture? Today's episode is focused on what it means to be truly human and why creating a truly human culture is both the right thing to do as well as the secret to unlocking value in organisations and their people. I'm delighted to welcome Andy Young onto our episode today. Andy is a Senior Managing Director within Accenture's Talent and Organisation Practice as well as leading Accenture's Global Community for Organisation Agility. He also works with CEOs and CHROs on leadership, culture, organisational and workforce change and the future of work. Outside of work, Andy is a fellow of the CIPD, hosts regular industry events and leads Accenture's research into many of these themes. And we want our listeners to know that for this episode, we are connecting remotely and working from home for this call. Andy joins us today from Leafy, Surrey, where he lives with his wife, Catherine, and their children, Alex and Iris. Andy, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Jengis. How are you doing? Um, apologies in advance. We're, we're homeschooling at the moment. So um, if you hear some cello practice in the background, that's just Iris having some fun downstairs. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, no worries at all. If, if you hear a, a busy road in the background, that's, that's just uh, my East London flat. But... Um, there's not much I could do about that. Um, it's great to have you on. Um, so today we're going to be talking about organisational culture and our listeners would have already heard me describe an optimal organisational culture as being truly human. So it's a relatively intangible concept. Culture can be difficult to describe at the best of times. What do we mean when we talk about an organisation that is truly human? It's a really, really good place to start, Genghis. And I'm, I must say, I'm super excited about these these podcasts. So organisations are groups of people working in certain structures, certain processes to achieve something. And then obviously all the informal side of the organisation as well that goes alongside that. And those things might be schools, they might be charities, they might be governments. And of course, they're they're business as well. That informal side of the organisation, the human side of the organisation, something that I think historically has been forgotten over time. Um, with some you know, particular notable exceptions, you know, through the 20th century, we made organisations more and more bureaucratic, more and more machine-like. Actually, as we've sort of stepped into the uh, 21st century and, and really now in the 2020s, there's a desire now for the, to see the whole human at work. And that's really the, the def- definition of true human, getting the best out of people by having the, the whole human being at work um, including all the difficult stuff, our feelings, our emotions, um, our home lives as well. Um, now, I think there's a few bits of that that are worth unpacking. And I think there's a certain approach that we're starting to see emerge. This is very much unique to every company, every organisation. But some of the things you'd typically expect to see in an organisational 
culture that's truly human would be, you know, first of all, a positive intent towards humans, that um, a belief that in growth mindset that they can grow through their career in their potential and performance, rather than looking at the lowest common denominator in behaviour, you know, appealing to the, to the strong and good side of people. You'd see something that was a bit more personal, empathetic towards people. So rather than being processed and having stuff done to you all the time, that some of those things about working and uh, inside an organisation, having your working life with an organisation might be a bit more designed with me and for me rather than done to me. I think a really important part of that is that kind of adult to adult relationship rather than it being parent child. So yes, we get choice. Yes, we're trusted. Yes, there's autonomy and freedom to work in the way that we want to work. But alongside that comes accountability and the need to align and team with others as well. So that's uh, that sort of dual edge of the adult to adult relationship. I think a really important part of this is belonging and inclusion that yes, you know, that people are from different backgrounds, different, you know, diverse strands in life, different experiences, but everyone is ultimately unique as a human being. And actually it's the inclusion of that and actually the making people feel like they belong, like they can be fully human themselves inside the organization that's work. And I think that's that human at work is the key thing. So can we bring the humor? Can we bring the fun? Can we bring the ingenuity and the creativity? Can we bring the kindness and compassion? Those things that are truly human characteristics. Can we bring those into the workplace? And, you know, I, I deeply believe us. I think, you know, you do as well, that this is both something that business has to get right. It's the right thing to do, but it's also um, the right thing to do for business as well. So Andy, I completely agree. And when I reflect on my own personal experiences, I know that I always thrive in environments where I can be my whole self. And I know that I can therefore be my best professional self, right? And the nature of our work as consultants does mean that we meet new clients and even new Accenture teams all the time. And then, you know, as you join these new teams and new environments that have a truly human culture, I think that you can really sense it in the air. There's a real palpable and positive experience when you have that moment of realisation that you've just entered an environment where you feel trusted and where you feel safe to bring your whole self to work. There is a part of this, though, that alludes to, as you said, the dual edge of adult to adult relationships. What are some of the boundaries that are in place when it comes to being truly human? It's not just about being kind and compassionate all the time. It's also about ensuring that there is, as you say, that level of accountability. And I think that there can sometimes be this misconception of having a truly human culture as something that's soft and fluffy, right? We'll talk a little later about the solid business case for being truly human, but how do you see organisations balance a truly human culture in difficult times, whether that's times of crisis or difficult circumstances related to the individual that they work with? So, um, look, clearly the world works varied and we're talking to a global audience here, Jengis, so I think it'd be wrong to talk about all work in the same in the same breath, but, you know, there is... There's for, for some people work, you know, profession, especially some professions in some um, some industries, works a calling. It's something that people are passionate about. They find meaning and purpose from. In other places, the um, you know, work is um, is a means to an end still, and but people can find common decency and and value in 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 the work that they do. So I think kind of from an individual perspective that 
that value aspect is 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 very uh, is very personal. It's quite cultural as well, um, and, and you need to be just careful not to generalize it. From a business perspective, yeah, again, it's it's going to be unique to every organization. But the you know the virtue aspect is that you know fundamentally this is the right thing to do for uh, for people. It's the right thing to do for the societies and communities that our businesses exist in. Um, but also, there's an increasing um, movement and increasing body of evidence that this is the right thing to do for business. It's the thing that unlocks business value, especially in the disrupted and post-digital world that we find ourselves in right now. So, Andy, we've spoken a lot around a truly human culture as being one in which uh, a person can bring their whole self to work, bringing the whole human to work, as well as one in which organisations create an environment where they are designing with their people for their people and not just having a culture of tell. Before we look into some of the specifics around the virtue and value case, how does a truly human culture feel for people? If I'm working in an organisation that, that gets this right, what's my experience? So a, a culture is the net of the behaviours in the organisation. It's kind of it's how we do things around here and how it, how it feels. And I think that that is uniquely experienced by each individual working with that organization, whether they're an employee or someone else from outside the organization working with that organization. I find it quite easy to think about this at a few different levels. First of all, about my overall relationship with a place of work and my overall working life. So, you know, is it something that, um, that works for my life right now? Secondly, kind of, key moments in in my life and in my career um, when actually things can go through points of transition I might change jobs I might return to work after a period of leave I might have a period of ill health and those can be um, periods of, 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 of strain and where we need additional human support and then we can think about day-to-day work you know the basics you know are you treating they with common decency and do you have friends at work and you know do people say you know, thank you, and, and, and so much more than that. But, you know, does the day-to-day work, um, you know, feel like a truly human experience or not? So I completely agree with you, Andy, and, and I certainly remember my moments that matter in my career, particularly, you know, when I first stepped into Fenchurch Street for my interview, I saw a, a group of interesting, diverse people wearing lanyards to support LGBT, mental health allies, um, all ages. It, it made me feel as though it was somewhere that I could be myself at the moment I sort of stepped in. Equally with things like promotion points, I, I, I enjoy the way in which we celebrate that in, in our organisation and the way in which we celebrate it, not just with leaders, but also with our peers. There's a real sense of collaboration, I feel, within Accenture. But I do think it's the day-to-day that impacts me the most. It's those real conversations that I have with Shirley, my career counsellor. It's those honest conversations I have with my clients. Um, a particular highlight was a, a client who invited me for some wedding drinks, for example. That 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 was amazing for me. I'm, I'm definitely somebody who works harder where I feel that there is a personal connection to the people that I'm working with, for sure. I've definitely seen that for you, Jen. It's like, you know, everyone's motivated by different things. They kind of feel different things, but, but you thriving in that environment, it's been, you know, we've worked together directly. I've seen you 
you know, really at your best in when you've had that support around you, that stretch, but feeling safe. So I can completely, completely see that's the truly human for you, right? Thank you, Andy. But we know that this isn't always the case in other organisations. Why do you think that is? Um, so it's it's true. The 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 overall statistics about work are that um, engagement levels are pretty poor still across most organisations. That a lot of organisations lack trust. They lack motivated workforces. They lack people who feel they have employee vo- voice. Now, even in you know those organisations, there's there's a diversity of groups who are highly engaged who feel they have voice, who feel they are trusted in those that don't. Um, but underneath that, that creates gaps in productivity, you know, big issues around absence and sickness in many economies. Um, you know, in the UK alone, it's something like 27 million working days a year that are lost to absence and sickness. Uh, uh, and bluntly, you know, those organisations where just a lot of people aren't bringing their full human self to work. I think when you look um, kind of more of a sort of macroeconomic perspective, um, there's two things I think are worth highlighting. One is that um, there are a lot of concerns around kind of good work within um, in the economies around the world. So do we have secure work? Do we have work that's fulfilling? Are people rewarded fairly? Um, and in a lot of the Western economies in particular, um, where we've had pretty flat productivity levels and over the last decade and, and real wage challenges, that certainly in question certainly led to a number of the sort of geopolitical issues we've seen recently. The second one, maybe looking more forwards, is the is the sort of skills gaps that that exist within the within most economies. So we have a structural imbalance away from STEM skills. Um, for example, we've got a paucity of data um, literacy skills within most Western economies. And yet those are the skills that are needed for the for business in the future, both the sort of truly human skills like empathy, problem solving, relationship building, creativity, um, but also those, those kind of human and machine skills, the ability to work with technology. And our concern there is particularly in lower skilled work where more of that work is being automated by technology and those individuals have got less access to a financial safety net and less transferable skills and less access to educational opportunities. So that kind of meeting of um, are we building good work, but also are we helping people, humans through those big transitional events, um, as well as just frankly, organisations not getting the best from people. So I think we need to have a a serious rethink about, about work, about what good work is, what good working lives are, and what we really want from work in general. Um, now there are some very specific things for certain groups that are, um, you know, need need action as well. But I think for everybody, that's an important an important topic about can we be our full truly human selves at work? And that's interesting because I think you you touched on the nature of work in of itself and and you know the skills gap that's in place. You, you've mentioned the truly human culture is getting the best out of people designing work in a way that that uh takes truly human culture into account having people at the center of that as well as the skills gap um, and social inclusion to end the skills gap but what about talking about work as a place for people to be and the experience of people from minority backgrounds in particular is not always being great work can be 
bad place for some people. And a lot of the statistics that we can see in this space can be quite stark. Where do organisations start with this? Part of being truly human and bringing your whole self to work also inherently means that people bring their experiences and some of the more negative experiences that they've had outside of the workplace into the organisation. I think they should start from a point of being appalled about it, Genghis. So actually that is a lot of the statistics, but also just a lot of, you know, people's lived experiences at work have not been good enough. You know, people have not seen even basic common de- decency at work. You know, these, these are big topics. But if you take the physical and mental health issues that we face around our working lives, you've got everything from a lot of people facing low-level anxiety and, and digital overload. You know, we're spending six and a half hours a day online on average um, globally through to really serious um, mental health issues that may lead to suicide at work. And those those events have massive ripples, not just for the individuals in, involved, but for the communities and people around them, including work colleagues. You know, we've seen a lot recently on some of the structural um, disadvantages and the structural prejudices that are baked into organisation systems, as well as direct discrimination, bullying and harassment that still exists in some workplaces. And it's it's shameful to say that, you know, in 2020, but we're in London at the moment, we've got a relatively liberal, progressive, you know, society, but even in the UK there is, and around the world, there's clearly different perspectives on, you know, whether people have a right to work and and their place in the workplace. So I think there's a an awful lot to do um, on these issues with, um, around the world. They're, they're not straightforward um, issues for for organisations to navigate, but I think I think you have to start from a perspective of, you know, we want everybody who works with us to be fully included, fully involved, fully fully to belong, so they can bring them full selves. And actually, from a social perspective, we want you know people to have full access to good working lives. We don't want people to be excluded from the from the workplace and from from being able to bring themselves you know fully into society and, and fully contribute to um, whatever work that calls them. So I think this is not an issue about for any individual group that you know it's just about them it's actually about all of us it's about you know if you're if you're someone who's straight you can be an ally to the lgbtq plus group in your organization um and that's very much about kind of if it's not you then it's there's certainly something else about you that means you would like to bring that additional bit of yourself to work um and if you still can't find the thing then go and find Mm. you know your relative or your son or daughter or whoever else it is that you want to have um, a better world to work for and think about actually what would you like for their future. Absolutely. And and it, it's worth saying that a, a truly human culture is, it's not something that's only for or specific to minority groups. As you say, it's all of us. It's a place where everybody should be able to bring themselves to work, regardless of whether they fall under a, you know, some of the more traditional brackets of, of diversity. We do have research that shows that you know, men in gender diverse teams also outperform men in teams which aren't gender diverse. So there's, again, the business value element that shows that we're all in this and we can all benefit from a truly human culture. Absolutely. If you and your teams are interested in the latest thinking on enterprise agility, I recommend another one of our Accenture podcasts, Talking Agility. This series takes an in-depth look at enterprise agility from every angle and is hosted by my friend and colleague, Elitza Necheva. 
Elitza's guests are leading experts on this topic, and they join her from around the globe in candid conversation. Talking Agility is now in its second season and can be found at Accenture.com forward slash Talking Agility or on your favorite podcast channel. So we've discussed some of the virtue case for change and the reasons why this is important, the need for organizations to shift to truly human cultures as a business imperative. I'd like to spend some time exploring business outcomes. So what is the opportunity? How does a truly human culture bring value to an organization by unlocking potential in their people? Well, I'd start with people are still business and business is still about people. So, you know, maybe the slight nuance for the modern age is that values unlocked where people, data and technology meet um, in the sort of post-digital economy. But just technology alone is not going to drive value for your business. So even if you take a pure profit motive, kind of old-fashioned sort of shareholder-only view of the world, you know, you need, you look at the, the the brand equity and the and the kind of customer experience, and does the customer come back each time and they spend more with you? Um, and you just need to look at kind of many businesses around the world that kind of align good employee experience with good customer experience, and and you can see when that's not true. And Herb Keller, uh, the the guy who founded Southwest Airlines, said, um, "Who comes? You know, it's a question about who comes first: your shareholders, your employees, your customers." His response was, it's easy, employees come first. If employees are treated right, they treat the outside world right. The outside world uses the company's products again, and that makes shareholders happy. And that's just that, um, you know, good people treated in a, in a, in a human way will, will, will shine through outside your organisation. I think there's an additional complication because of the world we're in now. So, you know, if you want the best talent to join, to stay with you, you're competing against some of the best companies in the world for that, especially that best digital talent, the best data talent, the best cybersecurity specialists. And they don't necessarily want to work for just the highest payer. They want to work for the organization that is going to treat them well, is going to align with their their individual purpose and, and um, intentions in life. When they're inside your organization, are you getting the best from them? Um, are you seeing you know performance and productivity um, from that group? Or are you you know, we talk about kind of people as their biggest asset, but I think the behaviour of many organisations doesn't really, it kind of betrays that they actually don't believe that. Um, so you look at many organisations, a large part of the cost base is, is labour cost, but but all the top line still normally has something to do with people and all your future has something to do with, with people. So the ability to transform a business um, to innovate, to be creative, to be agile, um, those things all sort of stand or fall on on the behaviours of of people. Um, and you can either see the workforce as a as a break on change, as something to be got around, or you can see it as your biggest enabler of of purpose driven transformation. And I think that's really where the world's moving to. And actually, that's tied to a, a wider shift away from shareholder. And, and and profit motive alone. And I think some of the recent fuel trends speak to this, right? So redefining what profit is or how organizations are redefining growth as not just being driven by profit, but also by purpose and meaning. And and the demands of not just consumers, but of future talent to move towards organizations that 
have a purpose that aligns to things that they care about. To what extent is this landscape of culture within organisations being increasingly regulated? We're starting to see some in the space of inclusion and diversity here in the UK with the introduction of the ethnicity pay gap. Is there more of a drive now um, within the regulator to push organisations towards a truly human culture? It, it's certainly not the core reason why we need to get there, but but are we seeing, you know, across the regulatory landscape, a shift towards making this an imperative? Well, there's, there's two things in there. One's about the role of responsible business. The other one's about how you, you know, regulate for when that isn't the case. I think those are both huge, huge topics, but maybe just to answer it briefly, I think there is definitely a, um, there are areas that are, um, new areas of regulation um, and intervention um, by many different, you know, through employment law, through interregulators, um, through quasi-regulatory efforts between industry that allow for collective action. Um, and sometimes I think those things can be really positive. So things like the gender pay gap, I think it brings transparency um, and starts to move the debate on that had frankly got stalled in the UK um, and I think that sometimes there is a place for regulation and you know more transparency and data um, externally. Um, I think the issue with that is it can result in a in a tick box exercise from organisations. Mm. Um, so I don't think that's enough alone, but I think it certainly can help bring out the the bar. And especially when you've got a real diversity of types of employment and um, types of workplace. Um, around the world, having having good basic employment law provision in place is important. Um, if you look at the t- topic of responsible business and so more the sort of spirit of the law, um, you know, obviously we're at the start of the 2020s, we're in pretty tur- turbulent times already, um, but we, you know, we started off with the real mandate, um, and you see the New York Times article about this is a decade to deliver the the intent from business to make this this the decade that business delivers on a social mandate, not just a stakeholder, not just a shareholder mandate, but but genuine stakeholder value. I think that's that's best kind of um, kind of exemplified in the discussion about environmental sustainability. And um, if you look at the sort of the Davos um, universal principles for business um, in the fourth industrial age, um, and you look at the um, Extinction Rebellion manifesto, some of the underlying intent about you know, business delivering sustainable outcomes and changing the system actually there's some there's some real commonality goal but how to get there is the question and i think people are you know they don't trust the media as much anymore they don't trust um government as much as they used to um and they're actually they're turning to business to start to address some of the social challenges in the world and some of the environmental challenges in the world and um, there is a role there for business to play that is beyond just the profit motive. So that's something that some organisations believe deeply in, some executives believe deeply in, others who are still on that journey, um, and, and bluntly others who probably won't get there. Um, so there'll always be a place for regulation and, and a legal frame around employment, around good work. Um, but I'd, I'd always hope that we go way beyond that. I think there's, mm. that's where the true human workplaces are, are, are way beyond where the law stops. So we've spoken a lot around the business case for truly human culture, as well as, you know, this being centred on being the right thing to do 
organizations shifting their very purpose towards things that are not just driven by profit or growth, but have a social and environmental and human impact for good. How do organizations reconcile these? How are we able to find the congruence between the virtue and the value case? Can you do this? Well, I think you very much can. And it's really important that every leadership team, you know, find that that why in their business, the the purpose, because that's part of what motivates us at, at, at work, will be different for each organisation because they're there to do different things in the world. So, you know, if that's, you know, making someone the best cup of coffee in the morning and that coffee having been sourced responsibly um, through to, you know, an NGO that's trying to save people, you know, who are displaced around the world, there's different purposes there, but, um, you know, those are both things that people can can, can rally around and, and motivate around. I think what's really important is those are things are deeply believed by not just the leadership team, but but by the whole organisation. They have something that appeals to people's hearts and and hearts first and foremost, because you know these things are emotional at the heart. They're not head things. They're things that people need to believe in, but also that they practically act upon them as well. So they've got a bit of hands in there as well, so people can go and do something about them. You know, the worst version of this is when you have, you know, the nice website value statements, the perspex blocks in the foyer, but actually underneath it, nothing really changes in the organisation. Now, I, I don't think that's to say that if you get a group that are aligned around a purpose that's relevant to the business and relevant to people and something that people can believe in and act on, that that's enough. At, at times, we're going to face disruption. Um, the world's massively disrupted now. You know, pandemics with geopolitical issues with trade wars, but also with a massive kind of disruptive effects of technology on business. So those external shocks can have real impacts on the ability to keep kind of purpose and action, you know, values and action aligned, and whether you can maintain a, a truly human workplace in those contexts. And equally, we're seeing businesses go through big transformations about transforming their core business today, but also trying to build out a new business in the future. And that creates tensions and, and choices in a business. I think what's really important is under those these pressure points, how do you reconcile um, value and virtue, and how do you how do you make sure that you're you're holding truth that intent? And that sometimes is about being creative. It sometimes might be about using time as your friend and and looking ahead about how do you solve these issues in a more measured way and plan ahead into those issues or iterate into those issues. Um, but I think it's always about authenticity, and even if you face a difficult decision. Are you doing that with integrity and how you how do you leave people feeling about that decision? And I think the Maya Angelou quote about people forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people never forget how you made them feel is really for me is the is the epitome of how we need to be thinking about truly human organizations and um and actually how as leaders we need to be leading through both the easy times towards more truly human organizations, but also and even more so the difficult times we face as well. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about the virtue and value case for a truly human culture and opening our series in such a fantastic way. Um, I'm hoping to have you on again as a guest for one of our future episodes. So thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Yes, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Always, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, but particularly on this uh, topic, which we're both so 
so passionate about and I'm really looking forward to the future podcast episodes you're coming up. I'll be a, an avid listener as well as a participant in the future. So um, thank you for having me on. It was great to welcome Andy Young onto the podcast to kick off our season of human future workforce. We have a whole season of the podcast planned where we'll examine some of the topics that we explored today, whether that's inclusion, mental health and well-being or employee experiences. Visit Accenture.com forward slash human podcast to hear more episodes and go on, like, comment and subscribe on this platform and others. I'm Jengis Bessim. Thank you for listening.